This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. What would we consider to be a happy life? In fact, a blessed life. So perhaps a happy life is when we have everything together. We have good health, good jobs, good home, good food, good life, perhaps good looks that gives you all the attention that good things bring. In fact, you know what? Some people may feel that they do have the good life. Or that even if life is not perfect, it's still pretty good in some areas. I remember when I was living in Perth, I often drive bus past a beach called Cottesloe Beach. It has beautiful sand and waters, the houses facing the sea, delicious fish and chips. And I'm often amazed at, doesn't matter whatever time or day of the week that I'm there, there are always people exercising, leisurely walking their dogs and um, doing sea sports. And as I r- rush from one place to the other, I always look at them and say, do these people ever work? They, they give us the image of what you see on TV and advertisement. Young people in the pink of health or older people who have made it in life. Perhaps that is the blessed life. Some people just have it. But perhaps some of us feel that the blessed life is just an unreachable fantasy. Now we would love to sing Bob Marley's famous song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Or Lord, you hum to the tune of Louis Armstrong's famous song, What a Wonderful World. But you know what? In reality, sometimes we are closer to identifying with one of the final songs of the legendary Johnny Cash. It's called Hurt. Let me read to you one stanza that goes like this. Cash says this, I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair. Full of broken thoughts, I cannot repair. Now, perhaps it's thoughts, or body, or relationships, or emotions that seems broken or beyond repair. And a blessed life is always someone else's reality, but merely your fantasy. Or perhaps for some of us, or many of us, we feel that you know what, Andrew, we are not on either extremes. We're just, well, you know, somewhere in the middle, sometimes happy, sometimes not so happy. Now, as we come to someone, we hear of a blessed life, a happy life, a running team for the rest of the Psalms. But what is a blessed life? What is a happy life? What does it actually mean to be blessed? Join me as we read verses 1 to 3 of this Psalm again, uh, as I look at three things. The first verse will begin with what a blessed life is not. Verse 2 will tell us what a blessed life involves. And the third verse shows us what a blessed life actually looks like in reality. So let me read verse 1 as you look at it with me. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. Now, as we read this poetry, we are first invited to feel kind of the movement that so often depicts human life. 
Because that's how it is. Seldom a person will wake up and decide to give up all the good things and good morals and decide to be totally evil. It's seldom that someone who gets married on the day of his wedding plans to have adultery. It's seldom that someone who has a kid planning on abuse. It's seldom that someone starts off doing um, charity work with the intention of corruption. There are seldom people who have decided to become Christians and later decide not. Perhaps there are some, but it's seldom this case. But here is how this happens. One will begin by encountering perhaps wicked thoughts, opportunities, or just people. But instead of turning away from that, the person walks along with the wicked, who might suggest perhaps extreme vices to numb pain or experience pleasure or dubious opportunity to earn quick money to kind of have a stable life or simply just join them for the sake of um, acceptance. So it's very tempting for a person not to turn away but to just walk in step with the wicked just for a moment. And then a matter of time the person begins to stand in the way the sinners take. If you look at the, the, the phrase, the stand in the way, it does not mean to actually oppose. Rather, in the Hebrew, this actually means to join the sinners in the way they stand. Now, I'm not sure how what is cool to young uh, teenagers here anymore, and none of you are really teenagers here anyway. Like, you know, the fidgets, it, it just appear and in a nanosecond is gone. But I know when I, what, when I was a teenager, what is cool is when you tuck out your shirt, out of, the, out of school and just walk out you know, looking cool or having Levi's jeans that you kind of cut a hole even though it costs a bomb and it's new or to wear Dr. Martin, uh, Dr. Martins uh, even though it could be imitations uh, just to be like the rest. So here as it says, you walk, uh, you stand in the way of sinners. It's saying that you're really standing in the way and imitating the people that are there. And over time, the person gets so comfortable with the sinners that he's standing with that he joins the inner circle, sitting in a company of mockers. They not only do what the wicked does, they mock at those who do not follow their way. If you look at verse 1, it's really a poetic picture of movement from walking to standing and ultimately to sit down. From being in step to being in the way and ultimately being found in their company. From thinking like the wicked to imitating the sinners and ultimately identifying openly with the mockers, even mocking passes by that they used to be like them. But that is not the blessed life or what the blessed life is made of. Now, who do you and I kind of identify with? The, the blessed person or the wicked person? Because the blessed person never gets progressively comfortable with sin and evil. You know, someone once says this, the first time you speed, you kind of feel guilty. The second time you speed, you get the thrill. The third time you speed, you look back and laugh at the guy who is slow and behind you and stuck in the traffic light. I'm not so sure about you, but you know the guilt of speeding 10 kilometers faster? It still nudges me, but it no longer keeps me awake in the night after having my license for 18 years. Or perhaps we have tread the line of copyright laws, whether it's watching pirated movies, 
exceeding the limits of photocopying of library books, or perhaps getting just a bit comfortable or too comfortable with crude or dirty jokes with friends or colleagues, or gossips or forming cliques, or watching dramas that we would not watch if our moms are sitting next to us, or getting or crossing the physical or emotional boundaries with people who are not our spouse. Now, I could go on listing the, the, the temptations in the world, but who do we identify with? The blessed person or the not blessed person? Are we living the blessed life? The limit test perhaps is this. That are we, we should ask ourselves this question. Are we comfortable with sin? Are we just a little bit too comfortable with sin at times? Because sin is not what the blessed life is made of. Instead, verse 2 points to us what the blessed life involves. Look at verse 2 with me as I read it for us. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You know, the blessed and happy person does not enjoy dwelling with the wicked. Instead, the person delights in the law of the Lord. Now, here's a bit of a background. Psalms is really written uh, in, in the Hebrew culture for the first readers. They are the Israelites a few millenniums back. And God's law at that time is central to this group of people. The law is how they learn about God. And the law is how they can stay with God. Law is everything. And the Israelites were told if they keep to the law, they will be blessed. If they reject the law, which is also rejecting God himself, they will bear the consequence. Now here, as we look at Psalms 1, it's definitely encompassing God's law, or sometimes we call it the Mosaic law, the do's and don'ts. It definitely encompasses the five books of Moses, that is the first five books in our content page of our Bible. But more than that, the law here is probably referring to all of scriptures, including the rest of the 149 Psalms that they will be looking at uh, as the person who has compiled this together. And here, the psalmist says that the blessed person is one who delights in the law, in the word of God. And not only does the person delight to read it more and more, the person kind of chew on the law day and night. Um, so delightful is it that the blessed person is never anywhere without having the law in him. Now here's an image for you. For we are about the same age, I reckon. Uh, if you're a kind of a basketball fan, you will know Michael Jordan. He's the famous number 23. Um, uh, if our, one of our brother Keith is here, he will know because he deals a lot with Nike. So Michael Jordan, he's known to be the top player in history. Uh, he's known to defy gravity when he plays basketball. He's known to stick out his tongue when he's playing the game. But there's just one thing that is always with him without fail when he plays basketball. Do you know what's that? Anybody can make a guess? It's the big leg chewing gum. Do I have a picture of uh, Jordan there? Wherever he plays, he always has gums in his mouth. He's always chewing his gum and he'll have that gum in his mouth as he makes that historical slam dunk or whatever that wins the whole game. His chewing gum is so delightful to him that it keeps him focused to live out his games. Now the blessed person delights in God's law because it is God's word that he finds 
life and not the voice of the world. He uses scriptures to navigate his life and every aspect of his being and not anything else. By now, we may rightfully ask this question, who exactly then is the psalmist speaking about when he speaks about the blessed person? Is it something that's even achievable for anyone? For us, for Christians, if we're Christians, do we love God's word like the blessed person? You know, after a long day of work or school, when you get home, you're tired, you're thirsty, you slouch on the couch, the first thing you grab hold of, is it the Bible or the kind of the remote control of your TV? Or do we hunger to read the Bible? Or do we prefer on a tired day to watch mindless action movies or rom-coms to spend our day? Do we kind of sing the Psalms or do we kind of surf Carousel or Lazada to look for the next thing that delights us? No, whether you're a Christian or you're not, what are the things that truly delights you? Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. So who, who can be this blessed person? Now if you're kind of the first reader, original reader, the Israelites, when you're reading this, the person that comes to your mind should actually be your king. Because the Israelite king is very different from all the other kings. In the Bible, the Israelite king is the one that God will bless. He, there's one significant thing that is different for an Israelite king. He, he does not walk or stand or sit with the other kings and behave like them. An Israelite king, what he's meant to do is not to build his security around power, not to grab all the pleasures that power allows, and not to find pride from having wealth. But this is what he is to do. Look at Deuteronomy 17, 18-19. Let me read this to you. What a blessed king of God looks like. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. It's on the screen for us. When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Now this might sound really strange to us, but this is what is involved in a blessed life. To delight in God and to delight in his law, because there is where you find blessings and life. Now someone in speaking about the blessed one brings to mind a king who actually delights in the law of God because in the law is life and blessing. The king will meditate on God's word because that is what keeps him and governs his life and governs the kingdom. But as we look at the history of Israel, kind of if you can remember any names or any kings, you realize that not a single king in the Bible was able to live the blessed life all the time. Some of the time, perhaps, but never all the time. And even the best people you can think of in the Bible, 
fail to live the blessed person's life. Now take Abraham, for example, he's the father of Israel, whom the foreigners call him the prince, the mighty prince in Genesis 23. He's known as the father of faith because he has a faith unlike others. But at the weakest point of Abraham, what happens? He abandoned his wife not once but twice. And then we have Moses. Moses, which Disneyland calls the prince of Egypt. The Bible calls him the most humble man. At one point, Moses in his anger forfeited his entrance ticket into the promised land. And King David, the most perfect marble statue uh, that has ever been done thanks to the late Michelangelo, which the Bible calls the man after God's heart, own heart. And David in his weakest point ran after a married man and murdered a loyal soldier. These are the best we have, but the best fails. What are the chances for us? Well, we can try. We can try really hard for some time. But all the time, really? An author writes this about the first verse of someone. He says this, This first verse presents with us a problem that we cannot ignore. If we are honest, you and I will admit that we do listen to the counsel of the wicked all too often. We have stood with sinners. We may even have laughed and have made fun of people who is obeying God. To say it another way, you and I are sinners. Now, even the best of humanity, Abraham, the father of Israel, Moses, the man who wrote God's law, David, the king with eternal promise, none of them nor their descendants could truly fulfill Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, all the time. But there is one man, there is one man in history, one king who did live out perfectly and experienced completely the blessings. And because of this one king who has received all the blessings, there is a way that we too can receive the blessed life. If we know him and actually we live in his kingdom. Know that king who lived that perfect life, we know his Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he was born, who died, he was raised to life physically. And the Bible repeatedly tells us how Jesus lived that perfect life. No, he was never in the step of the wicked, never in the ways of the sinners, and never in the company of mockers. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter 2. Let me just read this to you, 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Yet they hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. No, Jesus was sinless. In fact, he was so sinless, even a Roman governor, Pilate, when he was forced by the Jews to murder Jesus, he brought him out. He said this in John 19, verse 4. He, he cried out, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And as we read about Jesus in the Bible, we are told that God's word is always on his lips. And he lives in total delight in God's word. So after Jesus rose from the dead, he said this to his followers. Let me just read to you what he said in Luke 24. Jesus said to his disciples and followers, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. 
Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand scriptures. He told them, and listen to this. He says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and then repentance for forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations. So by his death, he opens up, and by his death and resurrection, he opens up forgiveness of for anything if we will come to him. There's an excess of uh, blessings and gifts that no other ways uh, we will be achieve, will be able to achieve by ourselves. You now, dear friends, as we kind of step into the world of Psalms, as we learn about the blessed life, you know what? You'll do you and me no good if I just tell you to work a bit harder, to try a little bit more tomorrow, and hopefully. One day we are perfect enough that God will bless us. I think it doesn't do you any good or me if I just tell you to work harder. It's far better for us to recognize the reality that actually we are not able to fulfill verse 1 and 2 perfectly because we are sinners. And there's only one person who has lived that life, who has fulfilled that, who keeps perfectly God's law, who so delights God that God will never reject any request from Him. That person is Jesus and it's only possible for you and me to receive the blessed life if we come under the wing of that blessed King. No, God alone sees Him to be perfect. No, someone is actually not directly about us. But it is for us. Let me say that again. Someone is not directly about us. But it is for us. Someone is about God's perfect King who is blessed and that we too can be blessed if we live under Him and in Him. Now some may ask, you know, Andrew, what does a blessed life actually look like in practice? In reality, tell me, how does it actually look different? Let me read to us verse 3 and there are five things about the blessed life that we will see. Let me read verse 3 for us. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whether uh, whatever they do prosper. Now there are five things about blessed life in this poetry full of images to help us understand the blessings. The first one is this. The blessed person is one that is intentionally Planted. It's a tree that's intentionally planted. He's not a, a wild tree or kind of a, a random accident. But, and it's a stark contrast to later on in verse 4 about the wicked who are like shafts, unwanted part of a harvest that's easily blown away. The blessed person is carefully planted by God, firm and unwavering. Now we see that in Jesus throughout his life and ministry, there's no religious or political oppositions that could cause him to deviate a single inch from living out his obedience to God and rescuing us from sin and death. As we look at ourselves, by our own means, it is hard, in fact it's probably impossible, to remain unwavering all the time. Even from a spectrum of 24 hours, it could feel really great and it could feel terrible. It could feel like close to God, it could feel like you have been abandoned by God, but not Christ. In Christ, we can stand firm because we no longer 
need approval from the world to be happy. That changes everything when Christ is the firm one and we lean on Him. Because the stability is not depending on the world, but on Christ. And because Christ is pleasing to God, we are pleasing to God. And God is ever-present and available for us. And if God is pleased with us, what are the other things that can move a firm tree? How secure is that compared to us trying to find security in our health, our wealth, our relationship, our looks? Whatever it is, it could be here tomorrow, it could be gone the next day. In one stanza of the song, Hurt, the angel, uh, the aged, he's no angel, the aged Johnny Cash sang this. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. You know, Cash sang that all those he loved are gone. His great empire, his trophies, his wealth, all his achievements, he now calls them dirt. And he's saying, you know what, you can have it all, my empire of dirt. But not so for those rooted in Christ. For even death could not uproot us from the love and the promise of God. Second, the blessed person is also planted by streams of water. Here's a picture of a tree, deeply rooted and draws life-giving water, unafraid of drought. No streams after streams of living water feeds this blessed person. No, is this the life you want? Is this the life you have? That you are always fed with streams of living water. On one occasion where the followers of Jesus offered him food to eat, he replied this. He said, You know what? My food is not is my food is to do the Father's will. Jesus so delights in the law of the Lord that he draws life simply from obeying God. And he did fulfill the Father's will at the end. Johnny Cash sang this, I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair full of broken thoughts I cannot repair. No, there's nothing in this world that can repair permanently damaged thoughts, life, relationships and death. That is the crown of thorns Johnny Cash wore and he's dead. But not so for Jesus. At the cross of Jesus, Jesus willingly wore the crown of thorns. At the cross of Jesus, as he wore the crown of thorns, he forgave the unforgivable sinner who is hung dying next to him. At his death on the cross, he brought life to us who are meant to follow suit the criminal. At his death, as he wore the crown of thorns, that he was willing to give up his life so that we can have eternal life. And as he wore the crown of thorns, on that final breath, he looked up and said, It is finished. And with that, he accomplished all that the Father has willed for him. And in him doing that, he has just mended the impossible breach between us and the God who has created us. From us sinners to him, the perfect judge. That was the crown of thorns that Jesus or if we come to Him, we will have stream of living water, we will have forgiveness of sin, life eternal, and relationship with God. And if we repent and turn back to Him, we too have the life-giving um, streams, not by our own good works, but 
by what Jesus has done. And if you look on, this blessed person yields his fruit in season. You know, just as Jesus used fruitful harvest by drawing people to his kingdom of heaven to be like him, you know what? If we are in Christ, we too bear and enjoy the fruits of Jesus. Here are the fruits that seem kind of weird to the world, but if you are a Christian, you could actually kind of reconcile that it's totally possible. Christians can bear fruits of faith when the times of doubt comes along. Christians can bear patience in times of suffering, peace in the midst of trouble, mercy when being wrong, gentleness when falsely accused, strength when weakness is ahead, humility when the whole world raises you up as God. And we pray when the whole world has given up. No Christians bear fruits. They're amazing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what? It doesn't really look perfect at the moment, but this is the direction we are growing and bearing fruits because we are bearing fruits in Christ and not by our own efforts. As we feed on God's Word, as we feed on Christ, we bear these fruits in the seasons of life. Fourthly, the blessed person has lived that does not wither. You know, when the world sees Christians unmoved, even in the face of persecution and death, it becomes clearer and clearer that there's just something deeper in the Christian that they can't remove. Furthermore, there's a curious sight that's kind of witnessed around the world because Christian funerals are the only funerals you realize that it's always mixed with real grief and real joy. Real grief because we really lost our loved one. But real joy because there is a hope that these loved ones who are so-called asleep in Christ will raise again when Christ appears and calls their name. And we know that we will see Him. So Christian funeral is a kind of weird place because we are unrootable even at death. Because there was one who faced death. And death could not defeat Him and He got up. And he was the first fruits of all the Christians. And so those who are in Christ will have this life. Finally, verse 3 says this, Whatever they do, prosper. Now it's not about money here per se. As the writer, as the writer explains this, that the Hebrew word verb for prosperous actually kind of just means to succeed or to accomplish the work you set out to do. So whatever Jesus does, he will prosper. He sets out to do the will of God and he succeeded. And what does that mean for us if we are in Christ? It means that we will benefit from his prosperity. Not an empire of dirt, as Johnny Cash sang in his old age, but a prosperity of eternal life, of healing from physical, emotional, spiritual brokenness in time to come. And to mend the broken relationship between God and the growing of our knowledge and love of God who created and loved us, such prosperity just keeps growing as we journey in Christ. Such is the picture of the blessed life, but not so for the wicked as we will just look very briefly at verses 4 to 5, which says this, Not so for the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You know the haunting words of Johnny Cash should ring in our ears as we consider those 
who do not have Jesus to take judgment, who do not have Jesus to face their wickedness, their sin and their mockery against God and others. Now, do we have, do we actually have this blessed, deeply rooted, fruitful, everlasting, eternal, prosperous life? If we're going to do it by our own means, we're going to be in trouble. But in Christ, all this will be what we have rather than the empire of dirt. And here's the contrasting picture of the poetry. The wicked has no share of the blessed life. Now imagine the picture of this threshing floor. The wicked are those shafts, those empty shells that are being blown as the grains are being collected. Here today, they're totally gone tomorrow. And here's the picture of really a, a wasted life. Remember the picture of the Cottesloe Beach that I mentioned at the beginning? No, even if we have all of that, which is in itself not wrong, but even if we have all of that, but does not have God or Jesus, we'll be like the shaft. The world will blow and we will die and memories of us will not be left in a trace. We'll be like footprints on the shore. They're kind of just being swept off by the wave and never to be seen again. But that is not the end for the wicked because they will not stand on the day of judgment when every single thought or action or desire is kind of being put on screen for the world to see and for the world to see the judgment and the wicked will not sit. They have been sitting for a long time but this time around they will not sit in the seat of the righteous or drink from the streams of living water. Let's kind of run up to the last verse. Who actually shapes this Kind of two ways and these two paths because this will be the repeated theme of two different kinds of people in Psalms. The one who actually shapes all this ultimately is God, isn't it? Who has given every living creature life. And we ourselves are kind of living on borrowed breath. So let me read the last verse as we look at how this whole psalm runs up. Verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now the reason why the blessed person will flourish is because God's eyes are on him. Not from a distance, but next to him. But no one is watching over or protecting the wicked. It is a path that leads to an exhausted destination. Like the waves that comes in the shore, they'll be gone in the flesh. But those who are blessed in Christ will remain. We'll come back again next week in Psalm 2 where we'll learn more about God's great King and powerful chosen King. We'll continue to see here and experience kind of the raw poetry, the raw emotions of life that's installed for us. But as kind of I conclude today, I just want to invite us to just reflect a little bit and consider the path of the blessed and the path of the wicked. Now, how we actually look depends on where we are heading. How our lives actually look depends on where we are heading. Jesus, the perfectly righteous, the blessed one, offers us what he has won, and that is the path we can take. Jesus said this, and let me read this for us. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that is one path we can take. The other path is one that we will fend for ourselves. Now dear friends, are we in Christ? Are we in Christ? The one who has fulfilled perfectly and delights perfectly and receives perfectly all that God has said in someone. Because in Him, we will be able to receive that as well. Let me pray for us using someone as a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, truly blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in your law and who meditates on his law, on your law day and night. And thank you, Lord Jesus, you have done what none of us can do perfectly. And not only have you done the impossible, you offer the fruits of your achievement so that in you we can have, we can be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever we do, we receive prosperity, your prosperity. We will not be like shafts that the wind blows away. We will not have an empire of dirt. O Lord Jesus, remove the stains in our life and give us new life in you. Help us to grow to love the words in the Bible more each day that we too may delight in the words of the Bible given to us, that we may know you, to know life, and to be warned of the dangerous path of the wicked. For your glory we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.